Now is the time that we get to open our Bibles. So please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue our series entitled Living as Suffering Saints for God's Promised Glory. Living as Suffering Saints for God's promised glory. And we've been preaching through the letter of 1 Peter, which was written by Peter, the pastor of the church in Rome, to Christians who were suffering in modern-day Turkey. So we get to pick up on that narrative this morning in a sermon that's entitled, Suffering Well. Suffering Well. And you'll find that text in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 18 to 25. And so what Peter is doing here is he's continuing his discourse on how we, as God's people, are chosen to proclaim God's glory in the world. How we, as God's people, are chosen to proclaim God's glory in the world. So he's going to march us through now very practical venues in which we can declare God's glory. And the venue today is at work. Now, we're going to be, he's going to be talking to servants, actually slaves, household slaves. But really the way it applies to us is at work. And I'm assuming everybody here has a job or would like a job. Uh, and so this applies to us, actually, if you think about it, to probably about 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Is this practical enough for you? And if you're a boss, it applies to you as well. But this is how we walk as God's people chosen by God to declare God's glory. How do you declare God's glory at work? Now, he's talking to servants or slaves, but I want you to remember this. In the Bible, oftentimes God We'll start with an extreme example, like when Jesus said, love your enemies, and then work from that extreme example to everybody else. So if you're to love your enemies, how much more are you to love your wife, your husband, your kids, your neighbors, you got it? So the extreme example here is of a servant, a household servant, a slave, and how they're a Christian slave, and how they're to declare God's glory as God's people as they relate to their master. You're going to see the word master here, but... It really relates to us, how you declare God's glory in the way you relate to your boss. And if you're a boss, pay attention, because this is how you relate to your boss, who is ultimately God, and how you treat those that work for you. We are God's people, chosen by God to declare his glory. And one thing that's amazing here, it is amazing that Peter even addresses servants. You're going to see here in a moment in 1 Peter 2.18, he's going to say, servants, do you understand that in the first century world, no one addressed servants? They were not a political voting block. They were not significant donors. They couldn't do anything. They were the least of the least. In fact, Aristotle said, you could not do injustice to a servant. He's wrong. And the reason being because they weren't human. And sadly, that thinking is what fueled slavery in our country. And it's wrong. It's anti-God. God says you can do injustice to a servant. And God speaks to servants right here to whom injustice is being done. God's talking to servants. Aristotle may not have talked to servants, but God does. And what does that mean? The lowest of the low. 
the least of the least. God sees them and God cares for them. And God is saying, you're my people. I don't care if you're a slave. I don't care if you're a servant. I don't care if you're poor. You are my people and I'm calling you to declare my glory. And this is how you do it. Now, how does it apply to us? In our jobs primarily. In our jobs primarily. God cares about the least of the least. God cares about us when we are being treated unjustly. Now I realize probably few of you right now feel like you're being treated unjustly at work. You're all very happy at work, aren't you? You have great bosses, don't you? Everything is going exactly as you want at work, right? You're getting the recognition you want. Yes? No. (laughs) I don't think so. All of us in our jobs, all of us, whether we're the owner of our own business, things just aren't going the way we think they should go. And and a couple of years ago, uh, I was going through a time like that where I wasn't feeling like people were appreciating how I served. I am the servant of God. Why don't they see what a great servant I am? (laughs) And I'm just getting a bunch of grief, okay? (laughs) You know? And uh, it was on a walk one morning. My wife and I, Desi and I, walk uh, uh, three times a week in our neighborhood. And this is our time early in the morning to talk and pray and and so we were just talking and praying, and she helped me on that walk. And she was being very gracious and kind, as she normally is. And, uh, you know, I, I was just taking hits, man, hits, hits. And she said, you know, Al, as I was praying about this, the picture, she said, that came into my mind was of someone who was walking very tall and upright and regally through a room. And all these things were being hurled at them about shoulder, length, shoulder height and up. And they were just being pummeled by all that stuff. But, but the picture I got is if that person got low, got real low, like a servant, and walked through the room that way, that many of the things that were being hurled at them would just absolutely miss them, wouldn't hit them, wouldn't hit them. And that oftentimes when we walk through life upright, noble, and, and I'm right, and I'm entitled And I'm the boss, and it's my agenda, and we're walking through the room like that. What's going to happen? And it just hit us, and it could tempt us, can it, to get a little proud, a little bitter, a little hard-hearted, and I was getting tempted with that. And so the question that I felt like the Lord just came, like zooming in, like those birds that kind of zoom and dive bomb you in, in the spring when you walk too close to their nests in my neighborhood, and like zooming in on me, the Lord was just saying, so Al... Do you see yourself as the king or as the servant? (laughs) Ouch. Do you see yourself as one who's come to serve or be served? I mean, even in our serving, we want to be served, right? If I serve you, I want you to serve me by saying, thank you, Al. Or at least saying, your service was great, Al. But if I come as a servant, I'm just coming to serve, period, punto. In fact, Jesus, when he taught his disciples about this, don't turn there, but back in Luke 17, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says to them in Luke 17, verse 10, he says, listen, listen, here's a parable. There was this, there was this master and he sent out his servant to work all day in the fields and the servant works all day in the fields. And the servant comes back at night really tired and the master says, hey, Before you eat, you prepare all my food, you feed me, you wash the dishes, and then after I've gone to bed, you can eat. And Jesus turned to them, a bunch of Pharisees, who thought that God owed them something. And he says, so it is with 
You, when you have done all that you're commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. You see, the problem when I don't like suffering, the problem when I don't embrace suffering is that I feel entitled. See, I think God owes me something. That's what the Pharisees thought. And, and Jesus tells us, and Peter is telling us, and he's telling servants in the first century who are suffering, he said, God owes us nothing. But he gave us everything so that we would owe him our lives. That's how we could sing those songs this morning. Songs about suffering. We sang this morning in a minor key. You understand that, right? But we Latins, we like to sing in the major keys. We want to clap on the, on the upbeat. And we sang minor key songs. And what was that second song all about, Al? Though he ruined me? Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a servant. I'm low. And this, this, this sermon tells me that God owes me nothing, but he gives me everything in Christ, and we owe him our lives, and we are to suffer well. That's why the title is Suffer Well. So let me ask you a question. How do you see yourself this morning? Do you, how do you see yourself in your current situation? Wherever it is that you're suffering, wherever it is that you're not being treated the way you think you should be treated, whatever conflict is going on, whether it's with your children or your spouse or your boss or your neighbor or with the traffic light <laughs> or with the weather, I mean, you know, you're not getting what you want. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as high and exalted? Do you see yourself entitled Or do you see yourself as lowly, a servant? Do you feel like someone owes you something, starting with God? Do you feel like your agenda should be the one that goes, or are you just a servant? Ah, just a servant, say you. But, oh, friends, don't you realize Jesus came as a servant? That's one of the keys to this message. We're going to see the main propositional statement in a moment. Jesus came as a servant. Listen, Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. He's our Lord. And he suffered much to serve us. And that's the point here on the screen. Suffer well. Because Christ suffered for us leaving us his example to follow. Suffer well because Christ suffered for us, leaving us his example to suffer. And friends, we need to learn how to suffer, don't we? We don't come equipped with knowing how to suffer well. Don't talk to me about suffering well. Teach me how to succeed. Teach me five ways that I can get what I want. Teach me 10 ways I can manipulate people to do exactly what I want. Give me 14 ways I can make money, make money now. How can I be popular? How can I be light? How can I win friends? Whoa, friends. Friends and influence people. I have no interest in going a how to suffer well seminar. None. Do you have an interest in following Jesus? I pray you do. I can't give you that interest. Only God can. If you do, according to this text, then you must learn how to suffer well. Not as a fatalistic, oh boy, life is terrible, so I just got to run with it. No, God's actually called you to that. He's called you to that. So let's read so we can learn how to suffer well. You ready? 1 Peter 2, 18 to 25. Peter's going to teach us how to suffer well. It's pretty simple. 
Hard, but simple. Servants, there you go, slaves, household servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Verse 21 is the key, friends. Underline this one. For to this you have been called. Huh? Yes. (laughs) You've been called to suffer when you do good. They didn't tell me that. Yes, they did. Here it is. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that's the cross, that he might die to sin and live, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Al, how do I suffer well? According to this text, here's how you suffer well. Mark it down. It's very simple. It's a two-step process. Number one, you accept the fact that it is God's will that you suffer. You accept the fact that it is God's will that you suffered. And number two, you remember that Jesus suffered for you. Point one, suffer well according to God's will. Look at verse 21 with me again, please. There it is. For to this, to what? To what is preceded it in verses 18, 19, and 20. To the fact that we are called to suffer when doing good. We're called to suffer and endure well when we are treated unjustly. For to this... You have been called. Who called us to that? God called us to that. Suffering well and doing good as God's people commends the gospel. We've been preaching that the last couple of weeks. Corey preached it two weeks ago. I preached it last week. How do we live as 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 God's people chosen to declare God's glory in this foreign land? We do it by being good doers, even when people are slandering us. As Corey preached, we do it by relating to the state properly, even when the state is calling our beliefs evil. When the state is advocating the killing of unborn children and we're saying, no, that's wrong, and we're called evil and that's called good. And now, the way I glorify God at my job is when I serve my boss in a way that honors God as unto God. So therefore, it doesn't matter how my boss treats me. Whoa. Wait a second. I was with you until that point, Al. It certainly does matter. I'm for justice. I'm for rights. Yeah, me too. But God is after something else. (laughs) I love what David said. He's outfitting us for heaven. He's making clothes for us for heaven. A nice suit for heaven. Heaven's suit. A heaven suit. And part of that is suffering. Listen, if we submit as unto God, not unto man, then it doesn't matter how we are treated by man. It's logical. I just don't want to accept that. 
God is served and honored no matter what kind of boss or what kind of authority I have. Or in the first century, no matter if my boss is beating me because of my faith in Christ, which some of these servants were experiencing. What Peter is saying to them, he's saying, remember what Jesus taught us on the screen, Matthew 5, 43 to 48. Again, using an extreme example of an enemy. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Remember, last week, we're part of the brotherhood of the believers. It's family time. This is what God's family looks like. God's kids look like God. Therefore, this is what we do. For he makes the son, his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors, those are the worst of the worst of that day, do the same. And if you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles or the pagans, the unbelievers, do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now look at verse 18. What does verse 18 tell us here back in 1 Peter 2? It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And skip down to verse 20. We've got to realize that what God is saying to us here isn't that we endure suffering when we do what is wrong and get punished for it. No, no, no. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about is when we suffer for doing what is right, what is good. When we're punished for being Christians. When we don't get the promotion because everybody knows that we believe marriage is between one man and one woman. Or even worse, we get fired. See, we're to be we're to be enduring of that at that moment. I'm not talking about enduring your punishment at work when you do something wrong and you bear up under the punishment. That's not what he's talking about here. He makes that clear in verse 20. He's talking about when you do what is right and you're punished for it. So, so let me ask you a question. Think back to the last time this happened. How do you respond when you suffer unjustly? How do you respond when you are insulted for calling something good that God calls good, preserving the life of unborn babies, and people say you're evil? How do you respond when your service is either ignored or it's actually spoken evil against because people just don't like where you are in your ethics informed by the gospel? How do you respond? We, we must learn how to suffer well, and the only place to learn that is in the crucible of suffering. You cannot learn this online. you got to be in the crucible. You get the thoughts here, but you know where this is going to be applied in your life? When you start suffering tomorrow morning. When you start suffering tomorrow morning. And there's hope that comes to us. Look at verse 19. We endure because we are mindful of God. See that? For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, while suffering loss and insults and pain. God smiles upon us. He gives us grace. Listen, it's hard to be mindful of God when I'm suffering. But mindful I must be. I have to remember God. Listen, if the first step of learning how to suffer well is finally accepting it is God's will for me to suffer. That's the first step. The second step is what we're coming to now. I must be mindful of God. Well, what do you mean now? Mindful of God, what is that? 
mindful of this, that God came and suffered for us. Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, God the Son, came to suffer for us. This is what I remember when I finally accept that suffering is part of God's will. Then I'm mindful of God and I think Jesus came and suffered for me. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 on the screen. Had this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, speaking of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, not of his divinity. Jesus emptied himself of his glory, of the prerogative he had as God the Son in heaven for all eternity. He emptied himself and entered at this earth to begin to suffer passively in his life, actively in his death. By taking the form of a servant. Whoa, so I'm not just a servant. My my Lord came as a servant. See, this is that mentality. Am I the king or am I the servant? We all want to be the king, right? We want to tell the people to go get us a drink. We want to have people open the doors for us. We want to be the first in line. We want to get the VIP passes at Disney and say, look at all you suckers. We all want that. It's in us. It's in me. But that's not how our Lord came. Our Lord went to the back of the line and waited in the heat. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We endure suffering because God calls us to suffer. And we endure suffering mindful that our Lord Jesus Christ came and suffered. Point two. Suffer well following Christ's example. Look at verse 21 again. Let's dive into the second part of verse 21, shall we? For to this suffering you have been called, comma, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now, that suffering that Peter writes there is alluding to Christ's death. And one example we have of Christ suffering for us by dying for us is in Romans 8.34 on the screen. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, suffered. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And that scripture tells us that the one who died for us is also the one who rose for us, is also the one who ascended into glory for us. And Jesus is right now interceding for you. You are not suffering alone if you're a Christian. And the one who's interceding for you knows what it is to suffer because no one suffered like he suffered. I don't care what you've suffered. You have not suffered as the Lord Jesus did. That helps me. I have an advocate. I may be getting my brains kicked in right now at work. I may be having friends leave me left, right, and and, and center. I may be experiencing financial loss. You may lose your job, but there's one who rules and reigns, who suffered more than you ever could, who's interceding for you. You are not alone. You are not alone. That's why, mindful of God, I suffer and endure the suffering even when it's unjust. And I love that part, follow in his footsteps. Look at that in verse 21b, so that we might follow in his footsteps. Throughout the New Testament, the apostles are telling us, imitate Christ, imitate Christ, imitate Christ. And it's like, oh Lord, but this one, Lord, I don't like where those footprints are going. They're going to the cross. 
You know, they say that the way children are taught how to write is their little hands are taken and their little hands are taken to trace carefully the letters over and over and over again. And Peter is saying here, trace Christ's life. That's how you learn to suffer well. We learn to suffer as we trace over Christ's life and carefully observe it and renew it and talk about it. And I trace it over. This morning, God's taken all of our hands and just tracing it over Christ's life. Because you see, those footsteps that I follow in, yes, they lead me to the cross. But do you know that after Philippians 2.8 comes Philippians 2.9? And after it says that Jesus obeyed God and suffered and died on a cross, and those footsteps are going to take me to the cross, but listen to where those footsteps take me after the cross. Therefore, Philippians 2.9, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above all names. We sang that this morning. So friends, it is fearful. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't like pain. But as Jesus suffered before receiving glory, so we, his followers, must and will and are called to suffer before we experience glory. But we will experience glory. Thank you, Corey, for reminding us of that. I give looking long term. That's what Peter is telling these servants who are suffering in the first century. That's what he's telling servants that are suffering in the 21st century. And now I love this, friends. In verses 22 to 25, Peter takes our hands and starts tracing them over the life of Jesus. You know why? Because Peter starts quoting from Isaiah's account of the suffering servant. Verses 22 to 25, Peter is going to quote liberally from Isaiah 53, where we find scriptures about the suffering servant. Look at Isaiah 53, 7 through 10, which Peter quotes in verses 22 to 24, of 1 Peter 2. On the screen, Isaiah 53, 7 through 10. Here's the image. Here's the outline of the suffering servant whom Jesus came to fulfill. Let us trace over it, my friends. He, Jesus, was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And when I'm oppressed and afflicted, my mouth starts flying at a thousand miles an hour. It usually gets me in big trouble. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. God did not open his mouth. What humility. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? We are his people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It is the will of the Lord that we suffer, but it was the will of the Lord to crush him that we might have life. He has put him to grief. God put his son to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. That's us. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his Hands. Jesus was innocent before God, according to this scripture, the one that Peter quotes in verses 22 to 24. But he, he suffered for us. He suffered in silence. He took our sin. This was God's will. And if you look back at our text, it says 
in verse 23. I'm back to 1 Peter 2.23. Look at it. When he, Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. Peter is quoting from Isaiah 53. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but look at this, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Friends, that is the application. We must suffer entrusting ourselves to God who judges justly. We must walk in the footsteps of Christ toward the cross, trusting that on the other side of the cross, on the other side of suffering is glory. It's hard. I know it is. But that's how we learn to suffer well. Otherwise, suffering will just embitter us, make us grumpy people, mean-spirited people, pessimistic, sarcastic people. God wants us to be joyful people. And then in verse 24, God reveals that Jesus suffered as our sin offering. Look at verse 24 there of Isaiah 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He's quoting from Isaiah 53, 11 to 12 on the screen. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Jesus, make many to be accounted righteous. That's us. His suffering turns a wicked, vile person into a righteous person before God. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion. I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many. That's us and makes intercession for the transgressors. So Romans 8, 34 tells us that Isaiah 53, 12 tells us that, that the one who did this for us is interceding for us. He's making intercession for us, his righteous ones. Isn't that wonderful? This speaks of God's care for you and me in the midst of our suffering. This speaks that God himself will watch over us as the shepherd of our soul. And that's how this text ends in verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What's happening there is that Peter is quoting from Isaiah 53, verse 6. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is interceding for us. He's the shepherd of my soul. When I've lost my way, when I'm suffering, when I drive by that house that I wanted that got sold, and I'm tempted to be bitter, and I walk into my house, and my soul is straying. I'm like one of those sheep that's just straying, and there's all these wolves, and they're just like licking their lips. They're ready for me. And there is the sheep. The shepherd of my soul walks up, and he banishes those wolves, and he grabs me oftentimes by the scruff of the neck, and he lovingly brings me back, and he says, no, here, my son. I will care for you. You're not suffering alone. You're not abandoned. I will be there. I will be there for you. What's the appeal of the message? Here it is, friends. You want to learn how to suffer well? You've got to come to the place of accepting that God has actually called you to suffer. And if you argue with that, fine. We all do. But go back to this text. And then number two, you must remember that Jesus suffered for you to give you life. And rehearse that. Trace his life with your hand. Learn how to suffer well. Like a little child learns how to write. I'm tracing his life. Memorize Isaiah 53, which describes Jesus, the suffering servant. 
And I would say this to you, if you're here this morning as an unbeliever, first of all, thank you for coming. I don't know everybody that's here, so I just want to say thank you so much for coming. But I would say this, God crushed Jesus to save his people. And I'm pleading with you, bow your knee to Jesus. Worship him as the Lord of Lords, as the name above all names. Because either you bow to Jesus now and God crushes Jesus and gives you life or you rebel against him and he will crush you in eternal death and damnation. Oh, I appeal, come to Jesus, the suffering servant. And if you're a believer, I appeal to you this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ, come and accept the fact that every day, every day he's with you and that he calls you to suffer well and remember our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Worship team, would you please come up? Father, I pray that you would give us the grace to accept the fact that you've called us to suffer, that we would not be surprised by suffering, that we would not be uh, embittered by suffering, Lord, that we would take on the posture of a servant and that we would follow your footsteps to the cross in faith that beyond the cross is the glory that you now experience in the heavenlies, the glory you promised to share with us. Lord, when my life is decidedly unglorious, non-glorious, and I am suffering, and it is dark, and the rain clouds are there, and the winds are blowing, and I don't see anything in front of me but pain and sweat and blood and tears, oh, Jesus, grab my hand and let me trace your life. And give me faith that there's glory on the other side of this suffering. No suffering is senseless. No pain is pointless, dear Christian. For God promises you glory on the other side of suffering. As he glorified his son after his son suffered for your sins. No one was treated more unjustly than Jesus. The just became sin for the unjust. To give us life. May that bring joy to your heart in the midst of your suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand and let us sing every day.